right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast. This will be episode 27. Um, I have gone out and uh, looked for an individual who is out being an activist with chemtrails just to see uh, what other folks who really have no connection to my work or me at all are saying about chemtrails. From time to time, it's good to just get outside yourself and see what folks are saying. But anyway, uh, the other day, I was talking to a friend, and he said a thing that got me thinking. Um, He was saying that he thought the voice from one of the characters from the Rick and Morty cartoon uh, that plays late at night on Cartoon Network uh, that is so popular, one of those voices was being used in a, uh, I think it was a progressive insurance ad. And the reason it got me thinking is because insurance companies, most people are unaware, are some of the biggest corporations in the world. In some cases, I believe, uh, dwarfing oil companies, just big, big corporations. And of course, they have a one-way ticket to success because here in America, don't know about other places, by law, we all have to carry insurance and there's a private corporation ready to take our money. Of course, if we ever have to use that insurance, it becomes a fight tooth and nail Uh, to replace whatever you're trying to cover that was insured. But to get back to the point here, um, I actually caught, looked up and caught the the progressive ad, and it does in fact sound like uh, like one of the voices from Rick and Morty is being used. Um, As I was surfing around listening to some of the voices on Rick and Morty, I came across the end of an episode that was very telling. Uh, It seemed to me that what I was watching was the system communicating with itself. In other words, things being said at the end of a Rick and Morty episode to people who are in the know. It was about, uh, the episode was about vampires or one of the storylines was about vampires. And uh, one of the coaches at the high school whose name was Coach Veratu uh, ended up being a vampire that they killed. It was kind of a side story that wasn't even really in view very much for most of the episode. But at the very end, one of the head vampires comes in after the show has ended and they do their little one minute sketch after the credits have rolled. And he starts communicating with people in the know. Uh, And what he's saying is, really, Uh, you vampires need to listen to me. You're out there. This guy was a vampire and his name was Coach Veratu. Um, And he starts saying things like, am I just a dick? You guys really need to knock this off. Quit playing the name game or something to this effect. And the reason it struck me and the reason I'm mentioning it here is because my next episode is going to be on 9-11. And we, in fact, see the name game all over the place on these hoax events uh, in this kind of age and deception where these names are basically poking us all in the eye, making fun of us as the stupid monkeys that we are. Uh, as an example of this, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the uh, in the Sandy Hoax episode, uh, Wayne Carver was the name of the guy who was supposedly cutting up these children and doing the autopsy. Carver, of course, because he's carving up these children. It goes on and on. In the 9-11 uh, episode that I will do here shortly, I began to look at names all over the place, and I found two Crowleys um, associated with the 9-11 hoax. So it goes on and on. And so in my view, what you're looking at at the end of this Rick and Morty thing is 
someone communicating out to people who are in the know, you guys better knock it off. This name game is being caught onto. And you guys should go look up the episode I'm, I'm talking about in Rick and Morty. And after the credits roll, there's usually a minute of uh, the cartoon left that they throw in there. Um, and if you examine it and take it apart, I think you'll come to the same conclusion. You're looking at a very undercover way of communicating with people in the know. Um, you need to knock this off. Too many people are aware of the name game that we play all the time to make fun of the masses or the asses. Anyhow, my next episode will be about 9-11. And I had initially set out, uh, I was going to grab a couple of the mainstream books and look at them and incorporate that into what I did. But as I got on Amazon... You know how Amazon is set up. Usually some of the books you can read a few pages in. And as I began to read a few pages in in some of the most popular 9-11 conspiracy books, I said, you know what, I'm not even going to touch this. It's just so ridiculous. Um, they're acting like they're outing some conspiratorial secret when in fact what they're doing is pushing more nonsense. So I totally shunted that aside and I'm just going to go straight into 9-11 and point out... Um, things that are so obvious. I'll give you an example. Um, near the two buildings, the Twin Towers, that the controlled demolition was done on on 9-11-2001, there is a Hilton Hotel called the Hilton Millennium. Of course, they've misspelled the word millennium. I think they've removed an N or something. I'll have to go back and look, but I think that's what it was. But this hotel is built and modeled on the obelisk from the movie 2001. I mean, really? So they build the Millennium. They openly state at first on their website that this building was modeled on the, the black obelisk from 2001. And you can tell just by looking at it. I mean, it's, it's really no secret. Anyone who takes the time to look at the building can see that this is true. Um, but there it is at Ground Zero. Built after a movie with 2001 in the title. In the movie, it's a bit of a Stargate, and it's a bit of an overlord, too, where this obelisk is, comes down to Earth when supposedly there's still monkeys, and it oversees this kind of evil development of life on Earth, in a way. Um, you see this peaceful existence. The obelisk shows up. Pretty soon, monkeys are killing other animals with leg bones. Um there, there's actually a lot more to it, and I may or may not cover too much of that, but these are the types of things that just demonstrate the wholesale fraud that is one of the biggest history-changing events of our time, for those of us that are alive now. Anyhow, let's jump into episode 27. Uh, I have Matt. I'll introduce him a little bit better in the main clip. Uh, Matt Landman, and uh, he's an activist, and I just by chance happened to see something he had done, so I reached out and I said, hey man, you want to come talk and uh, give your point of view on chemtrails? And it's an interesting episode, and it gives a an outside view of the things I might say based on personal observation that reflect maybe more accurately what a wider community of people online think about chemtrails. And uh, he talks about his activism work. So it's an interesting, interesting episode. And again, my next episode will be on 9-11, and it's probably going to be a barn burner. I mean, uh, in my view, 9-11 was an event that was put together with the intention that the truth be discovered about what happened. Um, and that is my point of view. Uh, the more that I've looked at this, the more it has occurred to me that discovery was built into the act of 9-11 for the simple fact of things I've mentioned before. Uh, one of them, silence, is uh, consent. 
and this is built into hermetic law, the Luciferian idea. It's even in common law, the idea of non-action being equivalent to a consent of some sort. And the reason I say this is because so many people have caught on to 9-11 now. What, another 10, 15 years? How many people in this world will understand what a hoax it was? But at that point, if people have not stood up against it, what are we looking at? We're looking at the biggest empowerment you could possibly give the people who pulled this act off, and that is consent. Uh, you're looking at people who now understand that it was a wholesale hoax, and yet nobody has really stood up against it in any meaningful way. And again, uh, in the modern age, for these people, that is a form of consent which empowers them greatly. Um, there, there's a whole kind of a cult side to this idea, the power that is garnered from uh, getting consent in this way. And that's their view. I don't know if I agree with that view. As a matter of fact, I don't agree with that view. Nonetheless, it seems to be the view that is being run with. So anyhow, let's jump into episode 27 and uh, talk about chemtrails. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio Podcast. This will be episode 27. I should also point out that the last one I did is absolutely not episode 25. It's episode 26 with the Jungle Surfer. Um, All through that audio file, I kept calling out 25 when I should have been calling out 26. Anyhow, I have with me today Matt Landman, who is big into chemtrails. Um, Chemtrails is quite a topic. Even in this day and age, there are a lot of people who have very differing accounts of what's going on, and to some degree, uh, differing accounts of whether chemtrails even are a thing. Um, And it's a surprising thing to hear Though I just spoke with the Jungle Surfer uh, earlier this morning when I recorded the last episode, um, and he's outside all the time, and yet he isn't sure uh, if there's anything to chemtrails, and he's a very realized man. So it makes me wonder if there are still some major land masses that we consider the Western world that are not seeing the onslaught that we see in the United States. At any rate, we're going to be covering all this with Matt. So let's jump in. Welcome, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, man, uh, you've been active for quite some time in the whole chemtrail thing, so why don't we just kick off? Uh, Why don't you let people know who you are and what you've been up to? Thank you. Um, Yeah, well, I am originally from the East Coast. Um, I like to start off with a little bio about myself just so people kind of get to know where I'm coming from. Um, I grew up just outside Washington, D.C. in Virginia, And um, I had always aspired to get into film school and become a filmmaker, but I never knew that I'd end up wanting to make uh, social change documentary films. I thought I'd be getting into um, drama, filmmaking, directing dramas and for film and television. So I ended up ultimately out in San Diego, just like yourself, and was still itching to pursue higher education because I had a, a bachelor's in business, marketing and management. And I ended up um, up in Northern California, where I finally got uh, an MBA, Master's in Business, and finally got my film degree. And after that, I still kept working in the field that I was used to, which was finance and business. And I ended up working with some nonprofits. And finally, I decided to literally get grounded and work out on a farm, because where I was living up in the Pacific Northwest was quite rural and I wanted to take advantage of getting an understanding of farming, which I 
apparently didn't know anything. And I can't believe I was 32 years old and I had no idea that you put a potato in the ground and it grows a bunch of potatoes. I mean, like I, my knowledge of agriculture was very, very limited. And I learned the abundance of winter squash and potatoes and all this. So either way, I'm out here working out in the field every single day. And I like to bring up my background in statistics because I am a statistician. I have over a decade of work in financial an analytics, and I graduated top of my class, um, master's in business administration. I'm really good at analyzing numbers and seeing outliers. Okay, And what I witnessed was, um, I can just cut to the chase and then I'll, I'll rewind for a minute. I witnessed a statistically significant uptick in air traffic. And this air traffic was on the edge of storms that didn't drop rain. And in particular, this, these storms that didn't drop rain had not just a statistically significant uptick in air traffic, but also a statistically significant uptick in persistent linear cirrus cloud formations. So I saw lines in the sky on the edge of these storms that didn't drop rain. The storms that did drop rain didn't have lines in the sky. Okay, so what I witnessed was I was out working on the farm, and what we usually get in the Pacific Northwest, where I lived in the mouth of the atmospheric river, they call it, um, the atmospheric river, I'm realizing, is just the same as the jet stream. So it's a stream, it's a river, it's this river of moisture, like literally like a river, you, you know, a river. This river of moisture comes off the Pacific and comes across the United States traditionally. We have 3,000-year-old redwood trees that are used to this seasonal deluge, literally an entire ecosystem that is accustomed to this seasonal deluge, basically from San Francisco to Seattle, this microclimate or this um, ecosystem. They get moisture or we get moisture from around November to April. It's the seasonal rain. They always get it. There's an whole, a whole amphibious um ecosystem of frogs and salamanders that come out from underneath the houses. They hibernate all year. They come out just for the fall. It is this ecosystem. And my farmer, Farmer Paul, he comes out and he says, oh, it looks like we're getting the rain early this year. It was around this time, actually, uh, mid-October. And we got out there and started harvesting pumpkins and squash and everything because we we're expecting everything to rot in the field because we we're expecting 100% chance of rain for the next 10 days. Okay, a couple weeks almost. <clears throat> so the weatherman was, was calling for it. The Doppler radar that my farmer had showed a big black cloud coming, 100% chance of rain for the next week. You know, we knew what was happening and we were used to it. So I was cognitively dissonant is the thing. And this is, this is my aha, my wake up moment, because I witnessed 25 planes come, grid the sky. The, cl the clouds dissipated into a haze these persistent linear cirrus cloud formations, these chemtrails. Then the haze slowly dissipates, and then the planes came back, okay? They all came together, and they gridded the sky again, and this storm cloud crept over onto, from the ocean, and then it, it came overhead, and I'm literally working outside witnessing this, and the storm didn't drop rain, not a drop. And I still just was happy that I wasn't drenched. You know, I was happy to not be working out in the rain. And I kept on going about my life. And I just kind of pocketed this memory. You know, I set it aside. 
And I never came back to it, not for a while, not until I witnessed it repeatedly. And finally, we, we, went, we went into a catastrophic drought in California. And it kind of just clicked one day that there was a correlation between the lines in the sky and the drought. And once I started testing this hypothesis in my head, I came to the conclusion that, yes, there's no way around it that these lines are actually purposefully causing the drought in California. And so once I really came to terms with that, I, after a lot of, you know, uh, self-reflection and, and um, I mean, I'm from, I'm from Washington, D.C. area, like nobody that I grew up with even, um, even, they won't even consider that the lines in the sky are not just contrails or not just water vapor, you know? So where I'm from, I really had to break my paradigm to commit my life to exposing this, this treason, you know, to exposing this crime against humanity and bringing about and hoping to bring about transparency and scrutiny to just something that I see as, as an atrocity. So, so here I am. Yeah. Let me jump in here and I will also give my backstory on how I kind of woke up to chemtrails. So many cool. people out there still kind of questioning whether or not, uh, there's any validity to chemtrails and using what I consider to be a red herring, the whole contrail, or you've been conned, by the contrail argument, uh, which in my view is 100% red herring. What I was doing was noticing the lines as far back as maybe 2009. But like you, it was just a gnawing thing <coughs> where I kept noticing that these lines would show up, they would be flying. I was in a flight path in San Diego where inbound was south and outbound was north of me. And no matter where I had lived in San Diego, I had been in between these flight lines since I was a kid. And I began seeing these lines come in different directions that were not the flight path. Then I realized that I never saw lines on the flight paths. Well, this was going on for years and years. And we fast forward to 2012 when I started filming through my telescope. This is really when it began to hit home because I wanted to go out and film at night or try to film the sun in the day, and inevitably what happened was the gridded sky would show up, and these white lines would be parallel or crossing each other, and off the, the acceptable flight lines for the airport there, and um, so I started filming them. And as I did that, I began to correlate that every time I saw persistent white trails in the sky, on most of those days, the entire sky would turn a milky overcast white. So I began to correlate that, and so as that occurred in my mind, I started to try to predict, and it wasn't long before I could predict seeing the spraying and understanding that I would not be able to use the telescope later in the day. By this time, I'm getting a high-powered telephoto lens and a doubler and my small telescope, and I'm trying to film these planes. Very difficult to do with the telescope, so initially I'm using the telephoto. And what I'm seeing is, is a lot of planes that are basically plain white with not a number I can detect on any of them. Lots of them are fitting this description. Then occasionally uh, there would be a single red line or a single blue line. So then I got into the whole flight radar thing and then friends of mine were telling me there's a delay on that. And we were looking to try to ID these things. Fast forward through all this. 
What I can tell you now is I've spent thousands of hours filming and monitoring chemtrails. Even if people were wrong about weather modification, were wrong about every other thing, at the base of it, it would still be a horrendous crime because that would mean that the jet fuels and other things coming off these planes are contributing to a level of pollution that is unimaginable. But I think folks like you and I know better, and I'm not even going to get into filming orbs and all these other strange things that I could associate with chemtrails. So that's where I came from. Excellent. And good on you for getting your eye to the sky. I mean, so many people keep their heads down. And even when they I've spoken to pilots, I've spoken to a lot of people that are even up there. And so many people are just dissonant to it. They don't want to accept it. And if they do, it'll shatter their entire paradigm. So they're not really even willing to go there. Yeah, it's a true thing. I mean, let, let's, for the sake of argument, let's start at the beginning. Um, one of the biggest red herrings out there is people think they're seeing contrails. Now, there is a bunch of YouTube clips and other things that point to the work of a particular engineer who took the time to put out a clip that says, that claims the modern high-bypass jet engine is now so efficient that it's nearly incapable of making contrails. Um, and as a matter of fact, it goes on to say, when the conditions are absolutely perfect, the small amount of contrail you get dissipates so quickly that uh, it's not even a possible explanation for what we're seeing. Where do you fall uh, on this whole piece of information? Well, what I find interesting about that particular argument, which is something that I discovered and researched when I was first, you know, because I, I decided to devote my life to this thing. It's not like I was trying to get down the rabbit hole and, and completely comprehend what was going on. I decided to com commit my entire existence. I stopped trading stocks. I stopped aspiring to be an actor. I stopped aspiring to work in television and film. I, I basically hung up every hat of every job that I've ever worked and came to the understanding that all my money and all my life, you know, and so what it was, what it is, is through observation, you can monitor the different atmospheric humidities and different conditions because there's a claim that certain temperatures and certain atmospheric conditions are conducive to the creation of these persistent linear cirrus cloud formations. Well, come to find out, if you just do a little research, if you just take, I mean, it doesn't even take that much. If you take note of the atmospheric conditions, the barometric pressures, the, the conditions in the atmospheres, in the atmosphere, which you can get very easily. A lot of different universities have weather balloons up and you can, through NOAA and whatnot, you can find out what your atmospheric conditions are. And so on days of these perfect conditions for persistent linear cirrus cloud formations, you can take note Okay, you can take note and then you can see in the sky what whether or not they're leaving lines or whether or not any lines are being have been left. And the thing is that even on those days where there's where it's conducive for that environment, you'll have both or you'll have neither. Okay, but on days that you have both, it's very curious because literally I've got images where there's two planes at similar altitudes. One is flying by leaving absolutely nothing. And then another one comes and, and leaves a line that lasts for 20 minutes. And then another one comes and leaves a line that interacts with that line. That's another thing that was very um, 
telling, especially when I started interviewing former meteorologists that were witnessing this as well, that the lines were actually interacting with one another. But what you can do is on days of, of lines in the sky, take note of those atmospheric conditions. And then when those atmospheric conditions come up again, you would expect to see lines in the sky again, but you don't. You know, there's, there's levels, there's ways about going and testing these theories and these hypotheses to realize <clears throat> that the, the story that you're being fed is completely bogus. And you know what? I have never, ever thought about the word contrail. I can't believe it. I'm really getting into neuro-linguistic programming. Right, it's a con the, job. Uh, yep. The power of words. And literally, that is, that is the irony there. I can't believe I never thought of that. There's very... I'm sorry, there's very few words that use the word con that don't bear a closer examination, but just let me pull you back to the point for a second before you continue on. Do you accept the engineer argument uh, that the modern bypass, high-bypass jet engine uh, is so efficient that it's nearly incapable of producing any contrail that matters? This is now accurate, yes. These high-bypass turbofan jet engines um, by Boeing are so efficient that... No, they shouldn't leave anything. And I've, I've interviewed literal rocket scientists that will say the same thing. And so what you've got is higher efficiency engines, okay, that should leave, lead to less lines in the sky, if any. But now we've got more. So the, so the argument that there's, that there's more air traffic and that the engines are different and the fuel is different is actually the opposite of what's true. Comparing family photos and comparing memories of the past, you know, if you go back to the 80s and whatnot, there should have been more lines then and less now based on the, the engine argument. Okay, good. So you and I can agree then. I also accept the argument. When it initially came out as a YouTube video, uh, I was a bit skeptical, but here's, here's more evidence. I have probably hundreds of hours of filming where I can show passenger planes pulling into an airport, leaving no trail of any kind and in the same frame shot another plane at approximately a similar altitude um, looking white often with no numbers or often military looking uh, leaving trails and that sets aside the whole endless footage I have of the trails turning on and off um, so I'm gonna make the bold statement and I think you agree with me but you'll have to be you'll have to say whether that's so or not is that Contrails are a complete red herring, and they were introduced to confuse people not to recognize chemtrails. Agreed. Okay. Completely. And, and, you know, when you begin to film the, the trails starting and stopping, which, I mean, the last, the last footage I shot a week ago has this in it, um, it begins to tell a tale. So um, do you want to try to list a couple of reasons that are short, concise, to the point of why we know what we're seeing is unusual? Uh, yes, I would love to. So I have a PowerPoint presentation that I was actually modifying last night, trying to narrow it down because it's at 85 slides, and you know people's attention span um, tends to be pretty short nowadays. But m my PowerPoint really helps unfold this, this puzzle because as you start peeling back layers of this onion, it, it does get a bit complex. Because, yes, the, 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 the persistent linear series cloud formations, when you keep your eye on these, they have an agenda. There's, there's a whole operation going on there. And then you have the regular air traffic and, and all these things. So once you start peeling it all back, you really have to help 
explain to newbies, to people new to it, exactly what's going on. And, and they really want it unfolded. Like, you can't just tell them. Like, people really want to be able to, to have a, to formulate an opinion. They want a lot of information nowadays. They want the who, what, why, where, when. They want it all. So I like to start off at least somewhere in there talking about the U.S. Air Force. Um, the U.S. Air Force, they have been manipulating weather and experimenting with atmospheric aerosols, and they have the patents to prove it for quite some time. Um, I have now, having, like I said, devoted my life to it, I have this global network, we have this global network of activists, and which is amazing because a lot of people reach out to me from all over the planet, including Australia, and they have a lot of chemtrails over there, just by the, by the way, um, just saying to, to your, on your earlier note. So in that, I've got people from all over the world sending me news articles and information, and there's a new group that I um, saw pop up online through a friend, Dominic, that just focuses on the history of weather modification. And these newspaper clips, you would not believe how far back these newspaper clips go talking about modifying the weather and even the technology that they had 40 years ago and even farther back. So in my presentation, I talk about <clears throat> in 1915, the San Diego City Council, they met and they were trying to figure out a way to make it rain in 1915. You know, if people can really wrap their head around this, we're going back 100 years, and they're already developing schemes to manipulate the weather. Well, let, okay? me, let me jump in real quick there. In San Diego, there was a plaque behind the College Grove Shopping Center um, where there's like an old antenna field, and it says when the bushes are trimmed so you can see it, First global radio network, U.S. Navy, and I think it says 1911, something like that. So it puts a little context behind what you're saying. Anyhow, go ahead. Wow. Wow, 1911. And, yeah, so a lot of people, like, through the indoctrination process that we call the public education system, you know, and I won't go there too much. But the thing is, is people feel like that they have been told our true history. Which is not the fact is not it's not true at all. Our true history is is very um, cherry picked, you know, to to tell the story that they want us to for, to form in our brains to, to so that we so that they have a population that they know what they think basically. And and so if we thought that weather manipulation was going on in 1911, then we could use our brains to realize that they've probably developed this a lot over the past hundred years. So either way, 1916, San Diego hired a professor by the name of Hatfield. Hatfield got up on a tower, theorizing he can make it rain. He sprayed a silver-based concoction, silver iodide, off of a tower, sprayed it up in the clouds. It downpoured for five days, and he was blamed for busting the dams and making it flood. But then they realized that that weather manipulation was a real thing, and it just unfolded from there. 1916, we get all the way up to the 60s, and we have um, Project Popeye, where the U.S. Air Force made it um, downpour over the Ho Chi Minh Trail because this is a trade route. They made it flood. Right. Okay. They, they, there's an article here that I just pulled up 
cloud seeding over Indochina, meteorological warfare. U.S. turns rain into war weapon. This article is dated 1972. Okay, a lot of articles like this from the late 60s, early 70s, talking about the U.S. weaponizing weather. And then subsequently, all right, the weather war ban comes out. 1974, there was a ban through the United Nations to prohibit the United States in particular because they saw what they did in Vietnam, okay, from using weather as a weapon because, as we all know, the, the, we the weather, um, it, cr it crosses borders pretty easily. We've got jet streams that if you mess with one thing upstream, it'll, it'll hurt something downstream. And they didn't want, you know, the U.S. waging war on Russia or something with a weather weapon and then it affecting the rest of the planet. You know, so they wanted to... Go ahead. So let me corroborate some of the things you've just said. As many of my mm -hmm. followers are aware, uh, I tried to write actual news articles for the Examiner at one point in my career, which I couldn't get paid for because I was not echoing the false news. But in my research for the chemtrail articles that I posted, I can absolutely corroborate everything Matt just said. There are articles going back to early in the last century and maybe even a little further than that uh, about people messing with blasting things up into the atmosphere and trying to get a weather result. But as an ex-radio operator in the Marine Corps, I can tell you that I had regularly bounced all kinds of radio signals off the ionosphere and a portion of what I believe Matt will address here later is the superheating of the ionosphere with radio frequencies to get a weather result or to manipulate a high or a low. So I just want everyone listening to understand this is corroborated information he is putting out there. This is not fanciful, someone wants chemtrails to be real. This is stuff you can go look at with your own two eyes if you care to. And I'm guessing, Matt, that you're going to be pulling into the very infamous document, which I read a number of times, actually, while I was writing the article, uh, written by the Air Force, called Owning the Weather by, I think it was 2025? Yes, this is correct. And this document is so telling, especially because of the date that it comes out. This document by the U.S. Air Force, Owning the Weather by 2025, Weather as a Force Multiplier, right. which can easily be found online. That's right. Like, all of this stuff is out there. That's the thing. And, and, the, patents, and the patents, too, right? I mean, we're, we're not... You know, we're not smoking crack here. You can go look at the patent trail just from that one document. Yeah, and the funny thing about the patents is that there are thousands of them. That's right. And they talk, they talk about creating all sorts of clouds and how to do it using jets, using atmospheric aerosol dispersals. And the thing about the patents is you don't patent something on a whim. You come out with the technology, public and private sector... The, and then you protect your investment by patenting it. You, right. you create something and then you patent it so no one else can come out and steal your idea. So these, these inventions, these creations are coming out over, the, I mean, decade to decade to decade, over 50 years. And you can see the progression in technology. Yep. And in 1995, when this paper came out, Owning the Weather by 2025, this is when the public, if you... If you pull the activist community, the early 90s is when everyone began to see, to actually recognize that these lines in the sky were becoming more evident. 
there was a there was a very large uptick in the mid '90s. You go back to your family photos in the '80s, and they just aren't there. So let, they let, are, let me inter, let me interject something here. Uh, I just rewatched Ferris Bueller's Day Off yesterday uh, for research. There is a shot in Ferris Bueller's Day Off that I just saw yesterday where there are two chemtrails in the sky shot crisscrossing. I don't think that's in the original film, so I want to put this out to um, all the listeners and followers on YouTube and on Crow777radio.com. Do any of you have an old VHS or old copy of Ferris Bueller so you can go look at it to see if those chemtrails were added in after the fact? And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because there's hard evidence that chemtrails were added in older commercials that were run in the modern age. And I'm sorry for stepping on you there, Matt, but it was such a good point to kind of make this point. Oh, no, I love it. And, it. and it actually triggers something in my memory that I don't think I would have talked about. They digitally remastered Jaws. And to condition people to think that this has been going on the whole time, they digitally remastered Jaws and put in persistent, the, the lines, the chemtrails. They put wow. in the lines in the sky in Jaws. And I have numerous people that attest to this. And every time, every single time I do my PowerPoint presentation... And I bring up this point. I don't care if there's 10 people or 300 people in the audience. Somebody says, I've seen that. I know what you're talking about. And they are so excited to share that because they've witnessed it as well. Let's, take that, let's take that a step further. For anyone listening to this who just heard the very important thing Matt told you as a kind of independent benchmarking place um, that you can confirm. Anyone can go dig for old versions of Jaws. I've seen the movie so many times. As a matter of fact, I was here on the East Coast when it came out, and I was diving as a kid to make money collecting hard-shell clams. Um, and I remember every scene of that movie. There was never chemtrails in the original. But to fast forward, um, when you see a car commercial, it doesn't matter whether it's Toyota, Dodge, any number of them, you will notice that these massive car corporations always have chemtrails in their sky shots for their car ads. Now, the only reason I point this out is because if you had this product, um, a car or a truck that you want to show off, and you put it out in Montana because you're advertising a Dodge Ram truck or something, you want this beautiful outback shot. Why would you be getting these horrendous trailed up sky shots when a blue sky or you know a, an impressive cloudy blue sky would be a much more beautiful shot so exactly what matt said is what i believe they're doing they're conditioning us all to make us first think that this has been going on a lot longer than it has and secondarily to simply condition your mind to accept them as normal anyhow sorry matt oh yeah don't don't be sorry and that's very true and the subtleties are so important and I don't think people really acknowledge the subtleties because conditioning is a very very subtle thing um, it plays on the psyche it's subconscious and then and, and then after after years of, of conditioning you, your brain has formulated an opinion without you even being aware of it and there it is and, yeah it's it's something else so back to the document. So 1995, the U.S. Air Force comes out with this public this, this paper, Owning the Weather by 2025, okay? And then coming out of the 90s, we've got so many issues with the weather and this perceived control of the weather. There's even Ahmadinejad out of Iran, and this is very telling because this 
corroborates my story. My story is that I'm in Northern California, which is very interesting. I, I, I think that I was very lucky to witness everything that I did because even now I'm witnessing in Northern California a whole new version of this weather manipulation um, in conjunction with these ionospheric heaters that we'll talk about, this HARP technology. I'm now witnessing jet stream um, altering. Like they are steering the jet stream. And before, the technology I was witnessing about five years ago was, was rudimentary, was basic comparatively. Like they were laying out a cloud of aluminum dust, a, a haze of aluminum dust, so that when this storm cloud came through, the moisture was dissipated and the rain wouldn't fall out. So, so, I'll, so I'll back up. Sorry, listeners. So in 1916, they realized that if you put silver iodide in the atmosphere, it's called cloud seeding. The silver helps the rain droplets come couple together. They, it's hydroscopic. The rain droplets come to the silver. So you've got one little silver um, speck, you can just imagine, and then a couple water droplets, because it's hydroscopic, come to that speck and come together and form together, and then they get heavy. Okay, you've got a bunch of silver specks, bunch of water droplets forming together, getting heavy, and then falling out of the sky. Which, which, which proves a couple things. It proves a lot of people are under the impression that cloud seeding was never very effective, which is not the case at all. There's actually corporations out there right now you can look up online whose main job in life is to do cloud seeding. But this also opens up a whole other avenue of questioning. When we have had the basically the breadbasket of the world, Central Valley of California, where so much of the food in this world is grown, has been in drought for some 10, 12 13 or longer years, why the hell haven't they cloud seeded to remedy the problem? Anyhow, back over to you, Matt. That is a very poignant point, and that's very true. I do this grassroots activism, and I talk to people about the drought, and everyone says, well, if it could make it rain, they would have already. The thing is, a passing storm cloud can get emptied of its snow just going over a ski resort. They do it in Vail, Colorado. They do it at ski resorts. Countries do it all the time. You can go to Beijing and see that they cleared it for the, for, yeah, the, they, for the Olympics. They have a Bureau of Weather Modification that they admitted openly in 2008 during the Olympics. Then they made headline news. I was writing an article about this in 2009 when their Weather Modification Bureau made a mistake and caused one of the most horrendous blizzards they'd seen in a while. Wow. So, so yeah, so the, the patents... The patents tell the story with the making of it rain. There's patents. I mean, it starts with 1916, and then it evolves over 100 years, advanced means of making it rain. Okay? So then on the other side of the spectrum, we can, I mean, the, the weather manipulation, it goes into weaponizing hurricanes. It goes into steering jet streams and all sorts of stuff. But let's just talk about the basics, making it rain, making it not rain. Okay? Because we have to start and build up. Right. So, so making it not rain, just like the silver is hydroscopic and all the water cup comes and gathers and goes to the silver and it drops out of the sky, if you spray aluminum in the sky, just like Professor Hatfield was up on a tower spraying at the sky in 1916, scientists a couple years later realized that if you got up on a tower, similar situation, and sprayed aluminum in the atmosphere, it's the opposite. The aluminum um, separates and it dissipates the moisture. So, hydro so got... hydrophobic. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Is that the right word? Yeah, it's the opposite of hydroscopic. Okay. 
Right, exactly. So the aluminum dissipates the, the moisture and prevents storm clouds from emptying their rain. So also similar to aluminum on the periodic table is barium and strontium. And these three primary components, aluminum, barium, and strontium, are the chemicals that are being used in the patents. And they're also the chemicals that are turning up in rainwater. So I'm not the only one looking at the sky. Well, make that little bit of broader statement if you can. Um, Have we seen verifiable lab reports from all over the world that carry these three heavy metals in common? Exactly. So what we're witnessing are people that are very intrigued and trying to get to the bottom of it just like you and me. And whenever there is rain... They're testing the rain as a um, baseline, okay? And then whenever there are lots of lines in the sky, they're testing the rain, and the patents that have the, I mean, sorry, the chemicals that are in the patents are also showing up in the rainwater that are coming out of the clouds. So, for instance, I witnessed lines, lines, lines in the sky and no rain. Other Californians witnessed the same thing, They started testing what little rain would fall out of these clouds, and they were finding extremely high levels of aluminum, upwards to a thousand times the EPA safe level, okay? And then it gets tricky there because even still people will say, oh, no, that those chemicals are probably coming from China or something like that. The thing is, is that the rainwater isn't, having the chemicals in it unless the lines are in the sky. So you can start making these these assumptions and start testing these theories. But before I get off track, I'll, I'll go back to Iran. So you've got the president, Ahmadinejad, of Iran. And he lives um, in a similar microclimate to Northern California, where you've got a jet stream coming off of, they have the Mediterranean. They have a, a jet stream coming off the Mediterranean, and it gives them their seasonal deluge, okay? And what the president of, of Iran has been very vocal about is that he claims that Europe and the United Nations and the United States, that this, this military-industrial complex is altering his jet stream, is preventing the clouds from dropping their rain by use of weather engineering and he's very vocal about it i include it in my presentation and it really falls in line with this weaponized weather okay which we know is going on in the first place and although it's a bold statement to make there are plenty of very serious researchers that will demonstrate beyond any reason in my mind that the drought in california is directly relatable to weather modification excellent so in iran you've got They even have record-breaking heat every year. This summer, it got over 170 degrees Fahrenheit. And this will be, I guess, a good opportunity to segue into these ionospheric heaters because this, on the the tip of this, it seems very, very complicated. And I know it's very easy for people to say, oh, wow, there's so much information. I can't, there's no way I can make an opinion on this. You know what I mean? But the thing is, is is it's actually kind of simple. So Nikola Tesla... He realized, I mean, Nikola Tesla was a genius. He was literally coming up with this information out of the, out of the ether even. He was, he was so ahead of his time 
it was unreal. And when he passed away, the CIA took his all his lifetime work and they turned it um, black. Like his his research was now unavailable to the public, and they ran with it. They ran with it for the past um, seventy years. And what they were able to do is set up an antenna array in Alaska. It's called HARP. A lot of people have heard this, H-A-A-R-P. And this antenna array, what it does is it manipulates frequencies. And it will, it will point this antenna array, this, this grid of antennas, okay? They'll point all these antennas at the sky, at the ionosphere, which is a level of the atmosphere. There's different levels of the atmosphere, the stratosphere, and these different levels going all the way up. And they point at the ionosphere, and they can direct these frequency waves. And they can heat the ionosphere with these heaters. Originally, the technology was used to actually heat the atmospheric membrane to an amount that it could actually bend the atmosphere. This fire, it could create basically the ball of fire, a little membrane, a tumor on the atmosphere so that if an enemy satellite was coming by, they could heat the ionosphere underneath it, create a little bulbous membrane, and destroy their satellite. That was where the original technology was formulated. Also, they can heat the ionosphere or the atmosphere where a plane is flying through and heat it to the same temperature as the plane and thereby um, deterring any heat-seeking missiles and stuff like that. It was a stealth technology as well. So they had, they had reasoning behind it initially that maybe not, may not have been weather manipulation, but come to find out if you heat the atmosphere, you can create these H's that you see on the weather channel. There's, there's H's and L's, and they basically dictate everything, these highs and lows. And if you can create your H's, you can steer weather patterns. You can do all sorts of things. So what I witnessed recently was the jet stream was coming over to Northern California. We were due for another deluge, another um, early storm, mid-October. And I'm thinking to myself, well, thank God we're going to get this rain because the drought really, we really need it. We need some snowpack in the mountains. We're reaching catastrophic levels. And I witnessed um, these lines in the sky leading up to the storm. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, okay, they're laying out their aluminum dust. The storm's going to come through this this dust and be dissipated and won't drop as much rain. But this time, and I'm literally witnessing this advancing in technology is what I feel like, because the sky ended up rippled. So you see these ripples that are indicative of the harp technology. You, you're talking, time, are you talking about frequency patterns you can see in the cloud deck? Exactly. You see okay. um, these Yes, exactly. These Which I, yeah, I have filmed this. I have footage available for people um, that shows the frequency pattern. I recognize them as made by probably an ELF or extra low frequency signal. Um, due to the period as an ex-radio operator, uh, I began to recognize that what he's referring to um, could conceivably be made by wind patterns but the problem here is you'll see it in a very compact area of clouds and then you'll see another one that's not parallel in other words like a radio wave is being bounced from a different direction because there's all these frequency patterns in uh, disparate areas instead of the whole sky or significant portions and they're not parallel lines in other words the wind would make them all go in one direction um, anyhow sorry but i wanted to get that kind of defined for people which is very 
interesting because what I witnessed for one of the first times as of late was this mesh pattern. It was an intersecting of this these grids, like a mesh, like a screen. Oh, wow. And, and it was so foreign to me. And I even have this friend from Israel who's new to the area. And he literally looked up at the sky and he said, that is not normal. That is not normal. I can't believe that the government is obviously messing with this rain that's coming in. And I was like, what do you mean? You know about this? And he's like, no, I don't know about this, but it's obvious. Look at this. You know, there's some people out there that can just, that are kind of awake on on a level that they look at the sky and they say, wow, I can't believe they are doing this, you know? So there's a level of cognitive dissonance that some people have and some people don't. But what I witnessed was, I feel like they were zapping the sky. There was, they laid out the lines. They dissipated into a haze. Then it turned into this, this very, very foreign mesh pattern. And then the jet stream could not come to Northern California. It actually turned at a right angle. I'd be happy to send you this image later. It turned at a right angle because what I feel like is a high-pressure system built up to steer this jet stream. So this line of a jet stream, a little literal river, was was barreling down, coming to Northern California. We were forecast for four days of rain. This is just last week. This is over the weekend. We were forecast for four days of rain. And then the storm, right when it got to the coast where I was witnessing what I felt to be this ionospheric heating technology, it literally goes at a right angle, goes up and over California. Now, when the storm gets up and over California, it gets into these neighboring states and it empties out all this rain, okay? It's just a concerted effort to make sure California does not get rain. And and how often have you seen, what we used to see is the rain would be pushed below the Mexican border when we were in San Diego and then come up into Phoenix. So Phoenix kept getting all the rain. Meanwhile, Phoenix is in a desert um, and they bank, underground bank all their water. But there was this whole new language that was introduced into San Diego. People got to realize San Diego is chaparral. That's what it is. There would be nothing there but cactus and scrub sage if people didn't water or plant other things in water. It would be about like high desert, called chaparral. They introduced this whole new idea um, that there was a, oh, help me out here, not a tropical jet stream, a monsoonal flow. They started to suggest that there was this new thing called a monsoonal flow. Having lived there my whole life, never heard of it, but I wanted to bring this up, Matt. Did you notice that what California was not getting, people just on the other side of the border were getting? Exactly, and I and I made notes of that. I talk about it very vocally on um, my Facebook page, which on F- Facebook I have so many devout activists. I'm very happy with my followers like like everyone that follows me 15,000 people they're all on board with the chemtrail thing and what I witness and I divulge to them and it's very great having this activist network because they can say yeah oh we're getting the rain here and we're not over here and stuff like that right when it crossed the California border it got in the high desert of Oregon and all of the rain was dumped out of these clouds so yeah it's it's literally passing these imaginary borders into the neighboring state and just unloading these storms. And that's right. And there, there's something about the state of Utah and there's something about Arizona, but particularly uh, Phoenix, Arizona, whereas San Diego and all the Western seaboard cities are about 
to have water wars. I mean, if this drought goes on much longer, it's going to make critical mass. They have built zero new dams, zero new catchment. They've done nothing to try to offset what's going on. Meanwhile, a city called Phoenix, which will rise from the ashes, I guess, um, in the middle of the desert will never have a water problem because they've built these massive underwater banks and other ways to, to conserve water. So uh, I just want to put that out because as Matt is witnessing in a different part of the state, the water being diverted past California where it's needed badly into another state where it's not needed maybe at all. Um, I witnessed the very same thing down in San Diego, except it was going around the south and coming up in Phoenix. Wow. Yeah, that's very, I mean, it's a huge state and we're witnessing it on each Both end. ends, yeah. Yeah. And as the drought gets worse, um, I can't. I can't help but think that people are going to start to wake up. I mean, there's signs up here, and the, the, what there's a lot of people that come and go from this area because of the university and whatnot. And the grass is brown, and the signs say um, catastrophic drought, or not not catastrophic, but severe drought. Right. Please, please um, conserve water. Okay, we've got six rivers here emptying into the ocean. We've got. A, a literal rainforest ecology where th like there there is a lot of underground water there's a lot of rivers emptying into the ocean there's been no effort to conserve any of this water not a drop why why do, you, why do you think that is have you cuz i've drawn a corollary but i'm wondering if you've drawn any corollaries to you know we see this immediate need we see absolutely zero legislation anywhere in the state to fix the American Canal, which is decrepit, or to make any new catchment systems. And as you point out, all these rivers uh, dumping into the ocean, there's been no effort to bank water or make water more savable in any way. Do you see a corollary? Do you, do you see why this might be? Um, well, I've done a lot of research, and I can only come to the conclusion that it's a setup that the media, having been consolidated over the past 20 years, in 20 years' time, we went from 50 major media conglomerates to six. We've been consolidated down to six companies that dictate all of our news. Six companies own all of the newspapers, all of everything, all uh, every yeah, radio but, station. Yeah, those six companies so, have an overarching so getting, subsidiary. It's all the same co corporation at the top, but go ahead. Right, exactly. So what they are telling us, when I flip on the TV, which I never do, um, but if I do and when I do, what they are telling us is, which is, which is so manipulative in my eyes, they're saying, oh, this, the rain will come. This is just a temporary seasonal thing. You know, they're convincing people, oh, the rain will come. Don't, we've been through these droughts before. No big deal. The rain... And then they bring up, like, historical things, and like they're like, oh, well, in 1912, uh, Southern California got a drop. It's like, yeah, you're not seeing the elephant in the room where this is purposeful. Right. So, so if it is all this plan, which it's, it's actually a scheme, it actually is a scheme, come to find out, it goes back to this Hegelian dialectic. You're familiar with, with Hegel, George Hegel, German philosopher? Just just give a quick outline so that people, you know, just a very quick overview so people don't have to stop the show and go look him up. Just give a, yeah. an overview. So Hegel died in 18, um, the mid-1800s. But what he, his entire, his entire philosophy that was adopted, because it was very useful, 
is manipulation of the masses, like how people think, basically. And what he had devised, and it's ve it's very much utilized to this day, is this master-slave dialectic. It was given his name, the Hegelian dialectic. His name is Hegel. And what it is, is keeping people in this problem-reaction-solution scenario, where very similar to other schemes, such as the global war on terror, so for, t for terrorism, for 9-11, which was pretty obviously... Um, a staged event, planned, yeah. Pretty obviously a, a planned staged event. They created the problem, knowing what the reaction would be, already having the solution ready for the public. So the problem was terrorism. The, the reaction is fear. It's almost always fear in this situation. And the solution, global war on terror, unlimited military black ops spending. And, and you see where we're at. We're in, a, we're in a perpetual state of war now. So with the drought, they create the, the problem, which is catastrophic drought. I mean... Nobody on the planet is going to be able to eat almonds in a couple years, literally. So, catastrophic drought. We have fear. Everyone's worried what's going to happen. So, what is the solution? Well, you'd think the solution would be, oh, we can make it rain. We have a whole campaign to seed clouds. But no, if you watch the, me if you watch the media, the thing is, is the media, if you can read between the lines, they have a lot of information to, to give because they're so flagrantly blatant um, and and bought that it's 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 transparent. Um, and really quick, uh, I saw this this clip by Conan O'Brien. He went around um, filming every news agency all around the country, and they're all reading the exact same script. Like, and, right. and he he jokes about it, but everyone is handed the same script and said, "Here, read this today." You verbatim know, yeah he showed like verbatim. yeah he showed like 30 or 40 stations and there was absolutely no difference in the words they uttered no and the words were meant to look very natural and and not contrived which is interesting so in the drought situation the solution that they're posing through the media very subtle how they manipulate and it's through these major publications that i trusted before but now there's evidently no trusted news source they are saying that solar radiation management, okay, SRM, that this is the solution to global climate change, that this is the solution to catastrophic drought. And what solar radiation management is, is laying out lines in the sky with jets to reflect the sun back into space, to basically black out the sun slightly. And they're easy, even talking about using metallic particles such as aluminum, barium, and strontium. Like it's it's really it's and it's so obvious to me that it that when I explain it to someone and they say, oh well, that can't be. It's just like no, the writing is on the wall. It's right here. And actually, brother, your silence is your consent. Like they like they're showing you because there's. It's just hidden in plain sight, just like everything else. So you know? what, what was the one – there's another one that the CIA director – there's a clip where he basically admits that everything we've been saying about chemtrails is true. But he calls it, I think, SRI. Are you familiar uh, with yes. that? Something – is that the right acronym? Because one of the acronyms, and I believe it's SRI, is actually encoding 9-11. 
S is the 19th, so there's 1 and 9. Even if you reduce it, it becomes a 1, so the big way or the small way. R is the 18th letter, 1 and 8 is 9, and I is 9. So any way you cut it apart, uh, it's one of these things encoding 911. Wow. Um, yeah, the I stands for injections. There it is, yep. Um, and they're talking about atmospheric injections into the atmosphere. It's just an, they have a few different words to or acronyms to explain what's going on, um, which is a little confusing because you've got solar radiation management, you've got sulfuric injection program. And then recently, which is just, I, it's, it's actually kind of a slap in the face. Yeah, it's, it's a com comical slap in the face yep. is this new acronym that they've come out with that they claim is the activist community's term for it all, which it never was, and this is new as of uh, mid-August, is a secret large-scale atmospheric program called <laughs> SLAP. Yeah. So, they, so the powers that be, the media and whatnot, are saying that these crazy activists are running around claiming that there's a, a SLAP program, but really... Um, it's a slap in our face the way that they're... Um, of, of, of course it is. And, and let me interject here. We're coming to the top of the hour, so let me just put in some common sense things that people can understand. Um, do you remember when Magnum P.I. got busted for stealing water in California for his avocados? Yes. Tom Selleck? There is mm -hmm. the Hollywood connection. Whenever you can draw a line to a famous Hollywood actor, you know the message control and the shenanigans is being put in play. But when we see something as broad as a total pretty much statewide drought in a place where much of the food for this country and the world is produced, um, I would bring a couple things up. First of all, the last time they tried to solve the water problem, they brought in a private company, I think it was called, it was after a Greek god, I think it was Neptune, of course, everything's encoded, that was going to take seawater, desalinate it, and provide fresh water for all of Southern California. The rub was that they wanted the people to pay for their plant and then pay them for the water production, which was then privately owned, and that got shot down. On top of that, there are people who consider that Monsanto might be part of this, as so many of the crops that are grown in uh, the Central Valley of California, there are still private farms that have not been bought and sold by Monsanto to contract for the genetically engineered seed. And people are also considering that this drought might be made to wipe those out. But just before we take a break for the top of the hour here, whenever you see someone like Tom Selleck supposedly stealing water for his avocado crop, you know you're seeing message control whenever Hollywood is brought to bear on these supposed political agendas. But when we come back from the first hour break and uh, come into the second hour, I really want to begin to touch on the kind of idea that lithium, a psychotropic drug, has been sprayed uh, in our atmosphere. And it's actually admitted. We actually have people on tape uh, in atmospheric jobs that are admitting that they were using lithium to spray into the atmosphere above our heads. That is a psychotropic drug. And also the idea that heating the ionosphere with radio waves and other mechanisms using radio frequency could also be geared to shape how people think and actually affect their thought patterns. Anyhow, Matt, let's take a break for the top of the hour. We'll take a five-minute break, and we'll come back for hour two. Terrific. Thank you. All right.
All right, man. There is the end of the first hour of episode 27, Crow 777 Radio Podcast. The second hour, maybe, I'm not sure. I think it may be a little more than a second hour is posted on Crow777Radio.com. It's a good, good, solid second hour. It really does give a good, fair view of what people outside of anything I've said or any work that I've done uh, with regard to chemtrails are thinking, saying, and doing around the topic uh, as it is kind of, you know, followed online in a community much wider than what I normally participate in or even even watch, um, you know, to, to, to date, I have pretty much depended on uh, firsthand observation and uh, maybe a little bit of ancillary knowledge about maybe testing of air quality and things like this that I've seen online. Anyhow, solid second hour. Hope to see you over at Crow777Radio.com. Cheers. <laughs>